Hi, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Leadership Biz Cafe podcast. I'm your host, Tevin Nasir, CEO of Tevin Nasir Leadership, our leadership firm that offers both keynotes and corporate training events on a variety of leadership topics. To learn more about our services, visit our company's website at tevinnasir.com. And now, let's meet my guest for this episode, Bonnie Marcus. We don't necessarily need to get involved in all the office politics because our work is going to stand out. People will say, wow, she works really hard and her work is great. So I'm going to promote her to VP tomorrow. It doesn't happen that way. For many of us, when we hear the term office politics, a lot of negative perceptions and even emotions come to mind. In fact, if I were to randomly ask 10 listeners right now what they think of office politics, I'm confident that an overwhelming majority of them would say they find it distasteful. And yet, despite whatever negative feelings we might have about office politics, the simple truth is that they are present in every workplace out there. And it's something we need to learn how to navigate and manage if we are to be successful in our career aspirations. Of course, while a majority of us prefer to avoid dealing with office politics, research has shown that women in particular have a much harder time adapting and embracing office politics. Given how women now make up over half of university graduates, that's a lot of potential talent and skill that's going to be lost to organizations due to this aversion. So, how can women be more successful in overcoming their natural distaste for office politics and embrace it? Not only for their benefit, but for the benefit of their team and organization. That's what I'll be discussing with my guest, Bonnie Marcus. Bonnie is an executive coach whose work focuses on helping women understand and embrace office politics in their workplace and leverage this new skill to develop their careers to become more valued contributors to their organization. In fact, Bonnie has been recognized for her work for the past five years by Global Gurus as being one of the world's top 30 coaches. Bonnie's insights on women and career development have been featured in Forbes, Psychology Today, The Wall Street Journal, Fortune, and Inc., to name just a few. Bonnie is also the author of The Politics of Promotion, How High-Achieving Women Get Ahead and Stay Ahead, which will be the focus of our conversation today. Hi, Bonnie. Welcome to the show. Hi, great to be here. Now, Bonnie, before we delve deeper into this book, I think it's worth noting that while the target audience for your book is women, I think the ideas and insights you share are important for both men and women to understand. After all, a common theme both here on my leadership blog as well as through my work speaking on leadership and writing about it from my leadership blog revolves around how leaders can bring out the best in those they lead. So I do hope both men and women check out this episode, as I personally found your book to be quite fascinating and revealing. So I'm looking forward to learning more about these ideas you present in your book, Bonnie. Well, I'm anxious to share. That's what I like to hear. And you know, I think a good place for us to begin you sharing is to start by admitting that when it comes to office politics, most of us have some form of aversion towards it in large part because it does evoke a negative connotation where terms like brown nosers and suck-ups come to mind. But what's interesting is how the reality of navigating office politics is more challenging for women than it is for men. Now, why is that, Bonnie? Why is being more adept at office or workplace politics a steeper climb for women than it is for men? Well, the first thing you mentioned is important. 
we hate it. <laughs> we just, we have this distaste for it. And all the research that I did for this book, interviewing hundreds of women, I asked them how they felt about office politics and how they felt about uh, the people in the workplace who they considered to be political. And overwhelming, and I'm not kidding, overwhelming response was, it's evil, it's a waste of time, um, it's bad karma. I, I think out of all the women I interviewed, maybe there was one or two who said, oh, it's important for our careers, you know? Uh, but I'm telling you, it was just such a, a, a small percentage. And the first thing that holds women back is that attitude that it's, it's negative and it's dirty and I don't want to get involved, um, as well as our deep-seated belief in the meritocracy and that if we work really, really hard, uh, we're going to get ahead and people are going to notice. We don't necessarily need to get involved in all the office politics because our work is going to stand out. And people say, wow, she works really hard and her work is great. So I'm going to promote her to VP tomorrow. <laughs> it doesn't happen that way. So I think the, the first step is really some of the baggage we have around office politics as women, um, our distaste of it that holds us back from really uh, paying attention to what's going on, to what's going on around us. The other thing is that when you look at the reality of the workplace today, uh, it's definitely not a level playing field. And there are still men who hold the majority of leadership positions in companies. And those men have the power to make decisions about people's careers. And it's very often challenging, more so for a woman than a man to get the kind of uh, uh, relationships with the powers that be, to get sponsorship from some male leaders, uh, to get visibility and credibility with them, where it would naturally happen uh, for a man. Right. And, you know, it's interesting, Bonnie, how you bring up the fact that most women have an aversion to workplace politics because they think they should gain those promotions or career opportunities by getting recognized for the work you're doing. Basically, as you said, that workplaces are meritocratic. And the reason I find this interesting is that this often what I read in comments on LinkedIn and on Twitter in response to calls for more women in leadership roles, more women in science and technology roles, and even more women getting recognized during awards season in Hollywood. No matter the reason behind the argument for gender parity for a particular function or industry, there's always this counter-argument that gets raised that people should get these roles based on merit and not due to some gender quota. And yet, as we all know, there isn't a single workplace anywhere that operates exclusively from a meritocratic policy because we're dealing with humans making those decisions as to who should get the promotion, the job, or the reward. So... Do you think when these discussions come up about getting more women in leadership roles or more women in tech industry, what have you, and we hear this argument that it should be the best person who gets the job and not any other metric, do you think this is reinforcing that narrative, both for men and women, despite the reality of workplace politics in terms of how men and women typically approach it? Well, first of all, I think it's important to emphasize here that really great performance and a great track record is still important. Oh, absolutely. 
when, you know, when we talk about somebody in the workplace who's a political animal and gaming the system, they are just working the politics for the most part. You know, they are not necessarily doing the work. And that brings out all the, the this sense of unfairness that a, a lot of women feel. Like, I'm doing all this hard work, and he's getting ahead, and he's not working as hard, and he's just schmoozing all the time. So um, I really want to emphasize that, you know, hard work and great performance is still really important. When you talk about who is the best person for the position, it's um, it's also essential to understand that the best person could be in a cubicle somewhere and nobody knows about it because they haven't created the relationships and the visibility that they need to get recognized and acknowledged and rewarded and promoted, I might add. So it takes definitely takes a combination of both. You can be the best person and be under the radar and invisible, and no one is going to recognize it or, or acknowledge it. So you mentioned also that there is this issue of a mindset in terms of how women approach this notion of office politics. And the way you suggest that women should address this gap in their mindset and their approach to their career development is for them to become politically savvy. And you identify four stages in the process of becoming politically savvy. So what are these four stages and what drives someone's development through these stages to become more politically savvy? Well, um, in the beginning, uh, it's naive Nancy. <laughs> I call that stage one. And um, that's when perhaps you're just starting your career or you have moved and started a, a, a new job somewhere where you are head down, focused on the work, and you're not paying attention to relationships, you're not paying attention to anything else that's going around, going on around you. So you've got that laser focused. I need to prove myself by doing the work, doing the work, doing the work. Um, the next stage is what I call great work Greta, where she is now becoming aware that it's not only the work, but looking around, there are certain dynamics here that seem to play into that, right? Um, who has relationships with whom, you know, who has power and influence? It's important to start perhaps building relationships to build a network to help my career. I'm learning in this stage too that it's going to take more than my work. And in stage three, you become very strategic about how to use those relationships, how to really pay attention to some of the factors that are going to help you get ahead, help you get recognized. And then the fourth stage is you've really made it to a leadership position, and now you can reach out and leverage the power that you have to not only stay in your position, keep your job, but bring other people up, mentor and sponsor other other women up as well. I have to say, I love these descriptors you give. And in fact, it reflects also something else that I love in your book. And that is, you also talk about how if you identify yourself as being at one of these four stages in terms of developing your political savviness, you provide what you call a political toolkit. 
for how you can, once you've identified where you fit on that stage of political savviness, of how you can then move yourself to the next one and the next one and so forth. And you actually have a number of tools in this political toolkit. So I was wondering before we delve deeper in our conversation here, if you could just briefly describe these different tools women need to have in their political toolkit to help them become more politically savvy so they can, once they've identified which stage they're at, how they can actually keep moving up in that trajectory. Sure. So the first tool I call a mirror. And the mirror is a reminder that you need to self-reflect because let's face it, we have so much we spend so much time and energy looking at what everybody else is doing and especially with social media, we rarely take a good hard look at what we bring to the table, what our value proposition is. So this tool helps you to understand what that value proposition is, how your work contributes to positive business outcomes, and how to articulate that and communicate that uh, to people in, in the organization who have power and influence, basically to get the recognition, the credibility and visibility you need. And that foundation of learning how to advocate for yourself without all the baggage of, oh, it's bragging and people aren't going to like me and focusing on your work rather than how great you are and how that work can help the organization is all, you know, in that first tool um, with the mirror. The next one is a magnifying glass. And this one's really important for political savvy because it reminds you that you need to really pay attention and look around at what's happening in the workplace. And not what we think should happen, what we want to happen, but let's really look at the reality and let's look under the covers. And when you look under the covers, you're going to find that not only are there certain policies and rules, et cetera, but there are a lot of unwritten rules that actually rule. Looking under the covers at what actually uh, matters, what are some of these unwritten rules, which ones are sacred, which ones uh, will, if you break them, you'll be okay, but if you, you, know, if, if you don't comply, you may not really get ahead. Then looking at who has power and influence, not necessarily based on the org chart, but the reality of the situation, who has power and influence over your career, as well as what is the culture of the organization? What kind of behavior is acceptable? What kind of behavior isn't acceptable? Uh, is that different depending on your gender? What does it really take to get ahead here in this culture? under this leadership in this department, because it can vary, right? It doesn't have to be the entire organization. It could be just under your current manager. Um, and is that also different based on gender? So it's the magnifying glass focus, focuses you on looking at all the, the dynamics, the reality of what's going on around you. Um, the next one is I stole this uh, Monopoly card. <laughs> Uh, the pass, go collect $200 card. Because when we played Monopoly and we drew that card, we progressed faster around the board and we collected more money, right? We collected $200. And that's very true of strategic networking. And the way I define strategic networking is networking with focus and intention. And that starts with what's your career goal? Then who do you know? And who do you need to know? to move towards that 
you know, whatever that goal is. Uh, the next one is the sponsorship chapter, and that's how to get how to be sponsor ready, and how to find a sponsor, because that's the most powerful relationship that you can have in the workplace. Much more challenging for a woman than a man, and so I go into that in that chapter is really what does it take? You can't just go up to somebody and say, "Will you be my sponsor?" These many of these relationships begin organically. And then the last one is what I call the GPS, which is how to use all the information that you've gathered, work with a coach or a mentor who has an objective point of view to help you put it all together and then navigate successfully. A great list. And obviously you can see there's a lot we could delve into, but there are a few of these tools in your political toolkit that you just described that I brought some questions to my mind. The first one is that tool you call the mirror, which, as you just described, refers to how women can identify their unique value proposition of how to view their efforts in the context of how it's helping their organization to achieve its goals. Now, again, going back to what we discussed at the start, one of the common perceptions women believe, and as I said, is often the counter argument presented whenever discussions of pushing for gender parity arise, is this idea that people should get a promotion or a leadership role because they've earned it. So it's an interesting contradiction here in how women operate from this viewpoint of saying my work should speak for itself, but then not having clarity about what their unique value proposition is. So could you explain what's behind this disparity, Bonnie? I will say this, that your value proposition is not your job description. You know, we've got and this goes for both genders. I mean, it doesn't matter whether you're male or female here. Very few people truly understand the value that they bring to the organization. Where our comfort level is, well, you know, I'm a software engineer, I'm a project manager, I'm a VP of sales, you know, rather than what is unique about how you accomplish the work. And how do you get positive results? because that's going to position you successfully in the workplace. People get what you bring to the table beyond you know, what your particular role may be in that organization. So when women lack the visibility and credibility, relationships and sponsor, sponsors in the organization, they need to find a way to get more visibility in a way that has an impact, that can build influence. And not getting up there and giving a stylized, memorized elevator pitch, because I don't think that's effective and it comes across as it's all about me, but positioning it behind the work that you do, the results that you get, makes it much more powerful and effective. People get it because you're offering to help them achieve their objectives. So for instance, if you are talking to your manager, if you're talking to a particular colleague, what are they hoping to achieve? What are some of their challenges and objectives? And then perhaps connect the dots and see how what you bring to the table can help them to reach those objectives. This point you brought up, Bonnie, reminds me of an interesting study you share in your book 
it was a study done by Catalyst where they found that doing those so-called right things like being proactive, asking for high profile assignments or projects and asking for those promotions and raises did not, in fact, help women advance in their careers. But what did work is what you were just saying was when women talk about their achievements, not in a bragging fashion, but more in a terms of how it helped the organization they work for. It seems pretty straightforward. So why aren't more women doing it? What's holding them back, Bonnie, from essentially letting people know about how they're helping the team, helping the organization succeed in their efforts? Well, first of all, many women don't understand their value proposition. So I hope more women will read that chapter or work with uh, their manager or their coach or a colleague to figure out what that that is. In the workshops that I give around self-promotion, around advocacy, you know, we spend a, a long time in exercises trying to hone in on exactly what that is. Because uh, we don't understand it, so we can't articulate it. We know that the baggage comes from bragging, and we don't want to do that because our, you know, we want people to like us. So we have, you know, we're, we're always walking this tightrope about I want to get visibility, but I don't really want to talk about myself. And really the comfort level comes with understanding how you can help the organization, how you can help your manager, how you can help leadership move forward based on what you do, how you get those results that's unique about you. So you just gave me my next question here, Bonnie, which is, how do women go about identifying their unique value proposition? How do they get started? Well, in the book, I give a couple of exercises. And those exercises uh, start with writing up a couple of successful situations in which you've been involved. You don't need to be the leader. You could have been a part of a team. But what was your contribution to that success? And you're going to begin to see a pattern over time of how you contributed to that project that led to successful outcomes. And again, it sometimes takes another person to say, to ask you questions and more and more questions. So somebody will say, oh, well, you know, um, I'm a project manager and I really meet all the deadlines and uh, get people on board and move the team forward. And then my first question would be, how do you do that? How do you build relationships? How do you get people on board? How do you keep people accountable and on track? So as you keep digging, you begin to find out what truly this person is contributing, what they're about, rather than saying, I'm productive or I'm efficient or I, I get things done. The question is always, how? How do you do that? That's probably different than the next person because you could be, I could be addressing, you know, 500 project managers. They all have the same job description, but they're each unique in what they're bringing to the table. Very good points. Okay, Bonnie, so let's shift gears and look at another tool in this political toolkit that got me thinking, and it's the tool you call the Pass Go and Collect $200 card. 
Now, this tool has to deal with strategic networking. Again, something most of us roll our eyes at, often because we've had bad experiences at networking events. But what's interesting about this tool is that it's about building and nurturing relationships. Now, the reason why I found this interesting is because when we talk about what it takes to succeed at leadership today, one of the critical cornerstones is your ability to build and nurture relationships. And there are many studies out there that have proven that women excel more than men at building and sustaining relationships. So again, what are we missing here, Bonnie? What are women doing wrong here in terms of becoming more politically savvy at work, especially when we're talking about something that majority have shown a natural affinity to do? Yeah, but we don't use it. So a couple of things. The first thing is the way we approach networking. It doesn't have a strategic focus. So we go out and, you know, we're collecting a lot of business cards. We're meeting a lot of people. Maybe we follow up. Maybe we don't follow up. You know, we don't necessarily focus on the relationships that we might need to help us move our career forward. You know, it's quality, not quantity. And we, we lack that strategic focus. So that's number one. The second thing that's missing is leveraging the relationships. And women have much more difficulty with the quid pro quo and understanding that if, if somebody is uh, offering to, to help you, you return the favor. If you're offering to help, it's no, no problem to then ask at some point, doesn't have to be immediately, for a favor in return or an opportunity in return. Um, and so that, that really holds us back. And I have to say, and I don't want to get into too much gender bias here, men are better at this. And so I, we hold ourselves back because we're not building the kind of relationships that are going to help us. Now, we've got this natural ability to connect. And we leave opportunities on the table by not really creating the types of relationships that will that will help our careers. So, Bonnie, to end of our discussion here, I have another question I'd like to ask you in the context of many discussions being had around leadership and developing talent. There's been an increasing interest over the past couple of years to figure out how do we motivate millennials and to better understand what drives them as they are fast becoming the largest demographic segment in today's workforce. And yet, there doesn't seem to be a similar drive to better understand how do we motivate, advocate, and develop women in our workforce so that we're not letting their full potential go untapped. Uh, now, to give some context here, you point out in your book how women currently hold 57% of all bachelor degrees, 51% of all doctorate degrees, and 45% of all MBA degrees. Now, that's a pretty sizable chunk of the educated talent pool. And in a shrinking labor force across North America and Europe, this should be reason enough to see more being done to help women gain those promotions, as it will clearly help an organization's growth, if not also their bottom line. So while we've been discussing what women can do to become more politically savvy and gain those promotions and opportunities, what can leaders do to make sure they're tapping into a clearly underutilized segment of their workforce? The first place to start is to, well, besides doing an assessment and finding out, you know, where your company is in, in relation to gender, gender equity and opportunities, I think the big missing piece 
is that companies don't really understand the women in their workforce. So you need to really ask the women themselves what they want and need to succeed. We make assumptions and then we build these programs or we buy these programs that fail because it's not really geared at what the unique challenges are of women in our industry in this company right now. So anything that's, you know, off the shelf or too generic that doesn't address what the concerns are in a particular company is destined, destined really to fail. Women want to know that they're being listened to and that some of their challenges in advancing their career in this particular work environment um, are being addressed. Maybe it's more uh, flex time, but we don't know. Maybe it's more generous parental leave. But developing career paths, unique career paths for women over the long term so that they have perhaps the flexibility to opt out for a while or cut back for a while and come back in, that shows that the company is really invested in those women. And it's much more likely then that the women will be invested and committed to more of a long-range career because of it. Uh, a lot of companies, I think, make assumptions based on either you know, what they're reading or what another company does doesn't necessarily meet the needs of the women where they are. And that could really vary not only by company and leadership, but by industry. So what are some of the unique needs of the women in your workplace? And what do they want and need to succeed? I did a survey, I did a lot of research on women and ambition uh, right after I wrote this book. And I did that survey. I said, you know, what are some of the things that you need? Uh, and again, this was across different industries and, and demographics. But it was really interesting to see where this, you know, where, where women felt that they needed more support, that their companies weren't providing that support. And it wasn't all about, I need more leadership skills. I need to be fixed. I need to have more executive presence. A lot of it was things that companies can really do to show that they're invested in the women and supporting them. As one of my favorite sci-fi characters would say, fascinating. Bonnie, it's truly been a pleasure speaking to you. And I can tell you, I really learned a lot reading your book. I mean, I know as much as this might be directed at women, I think it's equally important for men to understand how women view their roles and their contributions in our organizations if we are to maximize the access to talent we have and to make sure that every one of our employees feels like they're contributing in a meaningful way, as that's the surest way to guarantee our organization's prosperity and growth. So I really do hope people will check out your book, as I can tell you, I've passed on my copy of your book to my wife to read, and I know my daughters will also benefit from it when they join the workforce. So thank you so much for coming on my show and helping all of us better understand how women can be more successful in navigating workforce politics and to benefit their own career growth as well as that of their organization. Well, thanks for this great conversation. So some thought-provoking and insightful advice that, as I said at the start of our conversation, both men and women can benefit from understanding, particularly if you're a leader who should be invested in getting the best out of those you lead. 
As such, if you'd like to learn more about Bonnie's book and her work, whether for yourself or for someone you know, check out the show notes for this episode on our podcast page at tampanasir.com slash LBC. And that's a wrap for this episode of Leadership Biz Cafe. If you enjoyed it, I'd like to ask you a favor. I'd appreciate it if you could share this or other episodes of my leadership podcast with your colleagues and employees. An easy way to help with this is to simply share a link to our podcast page at tampanasir.com slash LBC. On that page, you can listen to every single episode of this podcast, and you can also find links to listen to our show on iHeartRadio, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher Radio, and Google Podcasts. And Leadership Biz Cafe is brought to you by Tampa Nasir Leadership, our leadership consulting firm that offers keynotes and corporate training events on a variety of leadership topics. So if you want to know how we might bring these kinds of insights to your organization, either in person or online, visit our company's website at TavaNasir.com. And with that, I'm TavaNasir, and you've been listening to Leadership Biz Cafe. Leadership Biz Cafe.